Welcome to the Billingshurst Family Church Podcast. For more information or to support our work in Billingshurst and the surrounding areas, please visit billingshurstfamily.church. Hi everyone, my name's Craig and I'm one of the elders here at Billingshurst Family Church. I'm really glad, really happy to be able to share with you from the Bible this morning. We're kicking off a new sermon series today, studying the books of Ezra and Nehemiah looking at how an exiled people returned uh, from being in captivity in the city of Babylon to their, back to their city of Jerusalem, able to rebuild their place of worship and encounter, the holy temple of the living God, a place they had been stopped from meeting in. In fact, it had been destroyed and they had lost so, so much of their identity, their cultural identity, and that had a huge impact on individuals as well. And now they were finally given the opportunity to come back and rebuild. We're going to look at this series together over the coming months and see what lessons it can teach us as we look to rebuild our church in readiness for the next season of life. Today then, I want to take us back to a reference point that most of us will probably be familiar with. And that is way back when the story of the ex of the exodus uh, when the nation of israel crossed over the red sea as though on dry ground and once they got to the other side and pharaoh's armies followed through and the way the waters came crashing back down on pharaoh's armies and it was sort of the mark of the people of god beginning their walk to the promised land um, you know, we likely all remember their fear as they came to the edge of the promised land, ready to go in, and everyone was scared because there were giants in the land. Um, and so because of that, because they didn't listen to God and do what they were called to do, um, they were made to wander for 40 years in the desert before finally being granted access to the promised land with Moses, who died uh, going aside, and Joshua taking the people forward into the promised land. And they crossed another body of water, the River Jordan. They made their way into the promised land, the land that had been promised to Abraham generations previously. And they began their conquest of the land just as God had commanded them. They destroyed Jericho and continued to have victory all the time. They relied on God, um, but they failed to fully clear the land. So they relied on God for some of it, but they didn't they weren't fully obedient to God. Um, they're only obedient up to a point which led to them becoming a people who forgot their God and ended up doing whatever seemed right in their own eyes. It was a nation that forgot the Lord their God. But God raised up judges to judge Israel. As we've heard in our uh, temporarily paused series, please do check that out on SoundCloud if you want to have a listen uh, or to refresh yourselves, refresh your memory of some of the stories of the judges. But God worked through these judges to turn the nation back to God, but they kept wandering away. Eventually, they called for a king. More than that, they demanded a king. So the final judge, Samuel, appointed them a king, and the age of the kings began. Saul, who was the first king of Israel, was just like the kings of the nations around the, the country, of, the, the nation of Israel. He was tall, he sort of, sort of stood a head and shoulders above everyone else. Um, he was great in the eyes of man, he was big and strong, but he wasn't the sort of king that Israel should have had. But when David rose up, King David of Jesus' family line, he was the sort of king that God had ordained for his people. And the next king, King Solomon, uh, David's son, um, was known as the wisest man who ever lived. He built the first temple uh, and a great palace and he led people in the greatest time of prosperity, led God's people in the greatest time of prosperity that they had ever known. Israel had been blessed 
to be a blessing. After Solomon, though, there were good kings and bad kings, mostly bad kings. Eventually, the nation of Israel was divided uh, into the north and the south, so made into two kingdoms. Um, and the, before long, the northern kingdom, which was known as Israel, fell to the Assyrians. And the southern kingdom of Judah, which held Jerusalem, eventually fell to the Babylonians under Nebuchadnezzar. And this began the Babylonian exile, where many of the people of Judah, the southern kingdom, were taken away from their homeland to the foreign city of Babylon, some 900 miles away. This marked a huge challenge of identity and faith for the people of God. The book of Daniel is a great place to go to, to see how some of the most faithful to God remained faithful, even though they were in exile, in spite of seemingly losing everything that gave them their identity as God's people. The thing is, when we consider things like exile, we might think, oh, it seems a bit harsh. But it's not as though God did nothing to stop the nation from being destroyed. All throughout the times of the kings, God raised up prophets like Isaiah, Jeremiah, Nathan, Joel, Jonah. The list goes on. God was faithful in warning his people, but in the end, they had wandered too far to listen to God's chosen prophets. And they suffer for it through the exile. But a theme we will discover today is that even when the nations and people wander, God has a plan. God didn't let his people suffer without his spokespersons being heard. Just before the exile, Jeremiah was one of those who had prophesied to the king of Judah, warning him of the coming Babylonians. God told the nation what would happen if they stopped following him and his ways, the best ways. He didn't sit idly by, but the people just didn't listen. Even still, despite their turning away from God's ways, God made a promise to them. He promised that the time in exile would be temporary. It would last 70 years. And the prophet Jeremiah says in Jeremiah chapter 25, verses 11 to 14, um, I won't read the whole thing, just to start, but it says, This whole land shall become a ruin and a waste, and these nations shall serve the king of Babylon 70 years. Then after 70 years are completed, I will punish the king of Babylon and that nation, the land of the Chaldeans, for their iniquity, declares the Lord, making the land an everlasting waste. God promises through the prophet that his people will serve the king of Babylon for 70 years. And God uses Nebuchadnezzar to bring discipline on his people. But it doesn't just stay there. Later in Jeremiah 32, 36, 38, God makes another promise through the prophet Jeremiah. He says, now therefore, says, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, concerning this city, which is Jerusalem, of which you say it is given into the hand of the king of Babylonian by, Babylon by sword, by famine and pestilence. Behold, I will gather them from all the countries to which I drove them in my anger and my wrath and my great indignation. I will bring them back to this place and I will make them dwell in safety. And they shall be my people and I will be their God. I love that line. Um, they shall be my people and I will be their God. God had a plan to restore his people to himself once more. Even through his anger at their walking away and in him administering discipline upon his people, he had a plan to restore them to himself, bringing them back into relationship with him. I don't know, have you ever wondered if God actually knew what he was doing? Maybe there's times in your life today where you wonder, does God really know what he's doing? We might think that maybe there was another way for, um, for the, the kingdom of Judah and for God's people. You know, maybe their behaviour wasn't all that bad. 
Maybe God was just angry for a moment, and if he just sat and thought about it for a little while, he wouldn't have sent his people away to discipline them. The reality is that the nation after David and Solomon was again in steady decline. After seeing the decline through the book of Judges, we see again a decline in the nation through the books of Kings, where we discover all the kings of Israel and Judah. God gave opportunity after opportunity for the people to turn back to him. And in the end, God had to act. And God knew the day of exile would come. Uh, but more than just knowing that the day would come, um, as God does so many times in the story of history, God promises a saviour for his people. 150 or so years prior to the exile, 150 or so years before the exile, God promised through the prophet Isaiah that there would be someone who would call his people back to the promised land, back to God's holy city, back to temple worship, which means back to relationship with God. And not only did he promise a saviour, he actually named him 150 years earlier. In Isaiah 44, uh, verse 28 to 45, chapter 45, verse 6, the prophet Isaiah writes, Cyrus, he is my shepherd and he shall fulfill all my purpose, saying of Jerusalem, she shall be built and of the temple, your foundation shall be laid. Cyrus, God's instrument. Thus says the Lord to his anointed to Cyrus, whose right hand I have grasped to subdue the nations before him, to loose the belts of kings, to open doors before him, that gates may not be closed. I will go before you. This is God saying, I will go before you and level the exalted places. I will break in pieces the doors of bronze and cut through the bars of iron. I will give you the treasures of darkness and the hordes in secret places that you may know that it is I, the Lord, the God of Israel, who called you by your name for the sake of my servant Jacob and Israel, my chosen. I call you by your name. I name you, though you do not know me. I am the Lord and there is no other. Besides me, there is no God. I equip you, though you do not know me, that people may know from the rising of the sun and from the west that there is none besides me. I am the Lord and there is no other. God had a plan and God named his saviour 150 years before he would come. Um, and maybe a bit more. Uh, the one who would restore God's people back to himself, restoring worship and relationship with God for God's people. Several kings of Babylon come and go before we reach the beginning of the book of Ezra, but in the end one man features at the start of Ezra and his name is Cyrus, king of Persia. He was the man who conquered Babylon and claimed it for the Persian Empire. From the time of Nebuchadnezzar removing the king of Judah to the start of Ezra's book, some 50 or so years had passed and it would be another 20 or so until temple worship was finally restored. Um, and when Cyrus comes, God's people are still in exile, still in Babylon as captives. But Cyrus had a plan to repatriate everyone removed from their lands by the Babylonians. And this is where Ezra's story begins. This is the story of the return of the exiles. In Ezra chapter 1 verses 1 to 4, we discover the words of Cyrus as God stirred him to restore his people to, to the promised land. And this isn't just something recorded in the Bible, but a very similar archaeological item called the Cyrus Cylinder is stored in the British Museum, uh, which details how Cyrus ordered people to return to their home nations from Babylon in the same way as the book of Ezra does. 
In Ezra we read, In the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, that the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah might be fulfilled, the Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, king of Persia, so that he made a proclamation throughout all his kingdom and also put in writing. Thus says Cyrus, king of Persia, the Lord, the God of heaven, has given me all the nations of the earth and he has charged me to build him a house at Jerusalem, which is in Judah. Whoever is among you of all his people, may his God be with him and let him go up to Jerusalem, which is in Judah, and rebuild the house of the Lord, the God of Israel. He is the God who is in Jerusalem. And let each survivor in whatever place he sojourns be assisted by the men of his place with silver and gold, with goods and with beasts, besides freewill offerings for the house of God that is in Jerusalem. Cyrus sent people home and even proclaimed that there should be resources made available to rebuild the temple of God. Not just permitting return, but enabling it, making it possible. The story of God planning to send a saviour and indeed naming him 150 years earlier is amazing. It's astounding. Um, And it reminds us that even when we might feel like we're cut off from God and cut off from worshipping him as we may like, that God has a plan. God is in control. God has a plan for his church to grow and to flourish, even through and beyond the difficult times that we see around us. We have a hope and a future in him. But even more amazing is the story of a saviour of a nation. Uh, Even more amazing than the story of a a saviour of a nation who's picked up by name 150 years previously is the saviour promised even earlier, even way back in the Garden of Eden. A saviour was promised, a son who would be born to defeat darkness and evil and fully restore God's people to himself. Not just restoring people to temple worship, but to make his people his temple, to make his church. Jesus was the one who who was the one promised to overcome the death and distance between man and God. And And at the cross, he did that. He did just that. He made that way that we can know God the Father for ourselves again. He, Lord Jesus, is the true and greatest saviour that the world has ever known. And so when we're wondering if God knows what he's doing, let us just remember that he planned a saviour for his people to restore them to their land 150 years in advance by way of Cyrus. And that he planned from the beginning that you might have restored relationship with him by way of the Lord Jesus Christ, our Lord, our saviour. Let me ask, do you know him? Perhaps today is the day to pray and come to know the one who has made a way for you to know God. I'm going to close in prayer uh, and perhaps you want to pray along with me today. Lord Jesus, I thank you for your saving power. I thank you that you went to the cross so that I might have my relationship with God the Father restored uh, into the way it should be. Lord God, I thank you that you didn't do that just for me, but you did that for anyone who would believe in you, Lord Jesus. It's by your name that we are saved. It's by your power, by your stripes that we are healed, that that relationship is made right again. And Lord God, I just want to turn to you and say, Lord God, I want to follow you afresh. I don't want to be like the people who went their own way. I want to go your way. So Lord God, help me just to keep my eyes set on you and to walk with you. Help me to be a real Jesus follower, to be a real disciple of Christ um, so that I might know Uh, that relationship restored and that I might be able to share that with my brothers and sisters around me. Lord God, I pray for all of us that we would be able to set our eyes afresh on you this morning and be ready to move on and to be obedient to the lives that you've called us to, Lord. 
let us not go from the left or to the right, but just to keep our eyes set on you and to keep moving forward with you. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.